Hello and welcome back to Tuesday at Dobbs's. Thank you so much, as always, everyone, for getting in touch. It's hugely appreciated and this podcast is completely built around your, your thoughts and opinions. The best place to share those comments section below. And if you've got a longer story, maybe with some pictures, you can email hi at tuesdaydobbs.com. This week I'll start from Spain in continuation with the news I shared last week that potentially from 2025 in Spain they may well outlaw open face helmets. Full face helmets may be a mandatory requirement. This is Jorge Garcia's opinion from Spain. When a government doesn't know how to manage things they start forbidding everything, even individual liberties. I ride a 1981 Guzzi 850 with an open face helmet because I don't like full face helmets. They take away from the experience of riding a bike. Look, is it safer? Of course, but then so is an astronaut suit. Where's the limit? Oh, and they, the powers that be in the Spanish government, they conveniently forgot to state how many of the bikers wearing open face helmets are within the statistics of the Spanish motorcycling fatalities? Funny that, when the law is specifically about it. Right, Jorge, let me look at this. I found this really interesting. I've got some stats here that I almost couldn't believe when I uncovered them. If we look at the UK, and I'll put the figure up here for the UK, on my right and on my left, the Spanish. And for those listening to the audio podcast, I'll read it out. There are 1.34 million motorcycles registered in the UK. And there were in 2022, 350 motorcycle deaths in the UK. In Spain, there are 3.39 million motorcycles registered. That is over 2 million more motorcycles in Spain registered than the UK. Yet the Spanish government are looking to ban open face helmets because of the increase in motorcycle related deaths in Spain and the number of motorcycle deaths in Spain, same year 2022, with 2 million more motorcyclists, 2 million more motorcycles, 286 motorcycle fatalities way less motorcycle-related fatalities than in the UK, yet there are two million more motorbikes. I don't think Spain is doing too badly at all. Moving on to reliability. How important is it? Why is it not mentioned more? What's the truth? From Ian. Freddie, we never get from vloggers like yourself. What we never get is the question of reliability. So many stories about how bad KTM bikes are and how good BMW is. But what's the truth? Which manufacturers come out best for reliability and who's the worst? It interests me and I'm sure many others would find this subject of interest as well. How does Triumph get on? Of interest to you, surely. Without Ian, I'm not going to specifically focus on one article because this is genuinely a topic I find interesting as well. And I shared something similar about two or three months ago. But anywhere you go, any survey you look at, it will be broadly the same. If you type in most reliable motorcycles, we all know what the top four will be. Look, if you want reliability, you all know, we all know where to look. You go to Honda, 
Suzuki, Yamaha and Kawasaki. No one builds motorcycles as reliable as the Japanese. So any survey you look at, they'll be the top four. Then the next three points usually, usually come down to Harley-Davidson, Triumph and BMW. These are the mid-range bikes with regards to reliability. They're fairly decent. Nowhere near the Japanese level, but decent enough. Just below those three, again, you almost always get the same two. You usually have Ducati and KTM operating number eight and nine spots. So KTM has never been known as a byword for reliability. No one says KTM and thinks immediately reliability. That isn't the first word that comes to mind, but it's often difficult to exactly pinpoint how reliable KTM is, how unreliable it is, and what's the real truth behind it. I've tried in a fairly un unscientific way to, to give you the most tangible evidence of KTM's longevity here. And I welcome any thoughts for or against this. I've put into Auto Trader very simply, and it's the same for every single brand I've done here, exactly the same. Motorcycle make, no model, no year, nothing. So I type in KTM. I then click on the mileage, and this is on Auto Trader. I'm only curious in seeing how many motorcycles from each of these brands for sale right now on Auto Trader have over. 50,000 miles because that will give me a good indication of how long-lived they are, how much the owners trust them and how rugged and durable they are where they're going to be covering big distances like 50,000 miles plus. So I'm clicking on KTM here. Any bike, any year, at least 50,000 miles. One. There is only one. Harley-Davidson. Again, the same. How many bikes over 50,000 miles? Four, it just shows, I've mentioned this before, people in England, people in the UK, sorry, they do not ride the Harley Davidsons for big distances. Harleys are made for mile munching, yet only four motorbikes exist on Auto Trader Harley Davidsons with more than 50,000 miles. How about Triumph? 50,000 miles plus 20. Now we're getting somewhere. Honda? 67. See, I'm sure that's of no surprise to anyone. You've got 100, 125,000, four for sale at above 100,000, 10 for sale at above 80. How about BMW? Famous for being bikes that if you look after them will go on forever. Not specifically cheap to look after, but if you do, they will go on forever. 50,000 miles at least, 44. Now that that is quite impressive. And finally, let's do an Italian. Let's do Ducati. In the UK, 50,000 miles plus at least. For sale right now, zero. Not one. In fact, there are only two with 40,000 miles plus. That means of all the, the Ducati Multistradas, of all of any of their models, only two of them have above 40,000 miles. For me personally, that's a very good indicator of how much riders trust their bikes. Of course, look, we can look into it more and say, yes, but KTM don't sell many bikes. Look, I know it's not scientific, but it gives some rough idea about the bikes that owners really trust to do big mileage on. Moving on to economy now. Should we demand more? From Stephen. 
Freddie, you described the 47 miles per gallon of the Triumph Tiger 1200 from last week as phenomenal and better than your Hinkley Bonneville. I find it phenomenal too, phenomenally bad. I can never understand why so many bikers are so willing to put up with rotten fuel consumption and even worse, fooling themselves that it's good or even phenomenal. I went around Europe a number of times in the 70s and 80s, once covering 680 miles in a day on a variety of Triumph 650s and 750 twins, all of them, all of them averaging at least 65 miles per gallon. My current Kawasaki W650 does even better than that. But why don't, why don't bikers demand better? Especially when the riders' rights group demand special treatment. This is true to be fair. They demand special treatment is based on the claim that bikes are environmentally friendly. 47 miles per gallon? Freddie, get rid of your gas guzzler and help save the planet. Or at least save some money and get a longer range while you're at it. Stephen, I'm, I'm going to slightly backtrack here from last week and agree with you completely. This is a, a subject I brought up a few months ago. Why are motorcycles so uneconomical? And I agree with you. My Fiat 500, mine and Monica's Fiat 500, as an extreme example. It towed a 220 kilo Bonneville with an 80 kilo trailer and the car itself was fully laden. Let's say with Monica, my, Monica myself and all of our luggage could easily have been 250 kilos of passengers and luggage towing a 300 kilo trailer with an old Fiat 500 and it averaged 44 miles per gallon. 44. So it averaged the same miles per gallon as my Triumph Bonneville averages when taking just me. That's a 220 kilo Bonneville taking an 80 kilo human and nothing else at all. Yet the Bonneville can only manage the same MPG as that fully laden Fiat. That is completely ludicrous when you think about it. I could give other examples, but Stephen, I, I do agree with you. Motorcycles, relatively speaking to cars, are ludicrously uneconomical. It makes no sense. They're not lugging around anything at all. And the economy figures are relatively atrocious. Even with cars, if we look at it, I remember when I was back at university, this was about 15 years ago, I bought a 1993 Rover Metro 1.4 diesel. Awful car, completely full of rust. It was embarrassing. It sounded like a tractor. But I would average 80 miles per gallon in that car. Show me a hatchback now that averages 80 miles per gallon, real world figures. There aren't many of them. It shows that in reality, we like to think that we're taking huge strides forward with economy, with, with fuel preservation. We're not doing that well if we're being completely level-headed. I don't think things are improving hugely with regards to consistently improving economy figures. Lightness is everything. Lightness and simplicity. There have been cars around for ages with 50 plus MPG. It's not like things have improved that much at all. And the same with motorbikes. The fact that your old Triumphs were doing 65 miles per gallon, well, there'll be 
market-leading figures now, 50, 60 years on from that. Stephen, thank you. I agree. I'll get a bit more input in this. Some more positive news. This is from Sir Kitchelot. With regards to fuel economy, I have, funnily enough, a KTM 1290 Super Adventure S. On a road trip from Bristol to North Wales, I had a pillion, fully loaded, in the rain, six hours in the saddle, A roads, average miles per gallon, 63. That's more like it. And from Stuart, I think most newish bikes seem to be pretty good on fuel if you don't rag them. I've averaged 56 miles per gallon on a tour on my BMW R18. I was pretty pleased with that. Steve and I would be pleased with that as well, because to be fair to the R18, that is not a bike specifically focused on, econ on economy. That's a performance bike. So 56, I would rate as pretty impressive for that. I'd be curious to hear from all of you, economy figures, how good, how bad are some of your bikes? I would love to hear it. What is in reality the most we can expect from a motorbike with fuel economy figures? Let's move on now to to America. Americans will not be swayed. From Mr. Glenn. Hi, Glenn here from Vegas. I'm a Swindon boy. Triumph Thunderbird Storm? Mm-mm. Can't sell them over here. There have been many for sale here. Come on, Mr. Glenn, this cannot be true. Many for sale here in the US. 6,000 miles, $5,000 or less. Let me just check. Let me check what $5,000 is in pounds sterling. $5,000 to pounds. 3,900 pounds. Mr. Glynn, okay. I'll stop calling you Mr. Glynn. That sounds ridiculous. Glynn, let me check this. Let me check this out. Thunderbird storms in the US. My Lord, my Lord, you're right. That is utterly insane. Okay, have a listen to this, this is ridiculous. Triumph Thunderbird storm, that's the big 1600cc Triumph, 10 year old one, $4,999, that's 3,900 pounds, that's 16,000 miles on the clock. Another one, even less. £4,597 for a 2014, and this is the special Thunderbird, not just the basic model, Thunderbird Commander with 5,000 miles on the clock from a dealer, UK pounds equivalent, £3,600. Come on, that is utterly ludicrous. I can barely get my head around this. I'll do one more to show you how easy this is. I mean, I could go on and on. I'll do one more. Thunderbird Commander for sale, 2014, 35,000 miles on the clock, $4,600. That is 3,000, what, 3,600 pounds for all that. It shows the Americans will not be swayed. In America, if you want a cruiser, it's only, it's only Harley-Davidson, maybe, maybe Indian motorcycles, but that is it. Trying to break the US market in the cruiser segment with a non-US bike, it's not gonna happen. 
Talking of US cruisers, something else that isn't going to happen, Victory motorcycles. This came out of the blue for me. A lot of people recommending this brand. This is an American brand, started in 1998, went bankrupt in 2017. That is a lifespan of 19 years. The brand is owned by Polaris. And funnily enough, Polaris also own Indian motorcycles. So if you're looking for a victory motorcycle between 98 and 2017, especially the later part of that era, the chances are you're going to notice a huge amount of similarities between victory motorcycles and Indian motorcycles. Gigantic chunks of the parts were transferable between the bikes. In essence, the platform was exactly the same for a lot of them. And there were a lot of people last week recommending these. Have a listen to this. This is from Pete. Freddie, I considered a Harley Davidson and an Indian, and then one day I stumbled across what looked like a custom build. I did a bit of research and I found out they were actually a production bike, but had sadly now stopped making them. I'd found out that it was the Polaris made Victory brand. And I'm now the proud owner of a 2009 Victory Kingpin Low. You could add Victory to your list of cruiser suggestions, especially, and I know this because Shannon in Australia rates these, especially in Australia, as I think they were popular down under. I'd never heard of them before. Pete, Pete, let's, let's check this out. Okay, Polaris Victory Kingpin. What can I find in the classifieds? That's a beautiful looking bike, huge. I think these are 1600 cc V-twin engines, two-tone white and blue, chrome everywhere, huge front screen to protect from the wind with a backrest. Out there styling, completely out there styling. What can we get? How cheap is it possible to get these for? Look, you may have problems in the future with parts. I don't know, that's just speculation. No more than that at all. Let's just focus on the good stuff. American built cruiser here. I found one with no issue at all. On eBay right now, exactly the same spec as this, exactly the same colors. 2011 model on eBay from a dealer. Hold on to your hats. It's 5,995 pounds. I'm, I'm about to freak out because that is, we said that the Triumphs are cheap in the US. Well, Victory, are ludicrously cheap in the UK. In essence, what you get here is Indian level build quality from a brand that went bust a few years ago. This is a bike that's got 6,800 miles on the clock. All that style, all that American character for under six grand. Let's do a few more here from Victory. This is from Faz. My Victory Crossroads weighs about 340 kilos but has 120 horsepower, real world figures. Yet it gets far better, it's like, I, it's like I wrote this, I didn't, gets far better fuel economy than my old 2006 Bonneville America. I keep saying my era of triumphs, the modern classics, the fuel economy is absolutely atrocious considering the performance you get from it. And let's have a look, Faz. Victory Crossroads, how much can you get one of these big cruisers for online? 
Here we go, 2010 model, Victory Crossroads, 1.7 litre engine, full panniers, backrest, screen, 6,700 pounds, 22,000 miles on the clock. I mean, these are really tantalizing, really tantalizing bikes. I'll do one final one for Matthias now. I think Matthias is in Germany, if I remember correctly. The best cruiser tours I know are the Victory Crossroads. I have a Crossroads myself. You could also look at the Honda VTX 800 or the Kawasaki Vulcan VN 2000. And of course, not to forget the Triumph Rocket. But again, a shout out for the Victory Crossroads as the best tourer that Matthias knows. It shows the difficulty of really breaking into the cruiser segment when you've got Harley Davidson and to a far lesser extent Indian. It's very, very nearly impossible, very nearly impossible to break into that segment. Harley Davidson, although not doing well at the moment, they've got it completely locked down. Moving on, the older brother of the Triumph 1200 Explorer. I mentioned last week Sam was planning to do, or is planning to do a 6,000 mile road trip on his 10-year-old Triumph Explorer. Jason's got another idea here. Freddie, the Triumph 1200 is great, but there are even better touring bikes for less in the Triumph range. The 1050 Tigers come fully loaded for well under the price of the 1200. Jason, I know the engine on this. Let's have a look at this. First off, 2006 to 2012, Triumph Tiger 1050. This is an engine used in at least three model Triumphs that come to the top of my head. It's in the Tiger, the Triumph Sprint, which was the sports tour that they stopped selling now because I think it just looked too dated. And also my old Triumph Speed Triple 1050. So it's a versatile engine. It's also extremely durable. I think I personally did over 30,000 miles in mine or on my speed triple with that engine. Never one engine problem. Many, many electrical problems, many problems with the electrics, but engine wise, never one problem at all. It had 115 horsepower, so slightly detuned from the speed triple, meaning it's unstressed, nothing to worry about. And it's 198 kilos, which actually seems quite light. Let's have a look. What can we get? Facebook Marketplace, 20 days this listing has been on in Birmingham, 3,800 pounds for 2009. Triumph Tiger, and I'm quoting, beautiful, untouched, low mileage Triumph Tiger 1050 ABS, MOT till August, good tires, heated grip, High density driving lights, comes with top box side panniers, must be viewed, rides and looks like a new bike. Possible swap, someone may be interested, for Thunderbird. 20,000 miles on the clock. I mean, that's a huge amount of bike for the money. This is really quite close to the start of when Triumphs became really good usable everyday bikes from specifically the 1050 engine that's in this Tiger. This is when they were completely durable, rugged, and could go on and on. That's a lot of bike for the money. 
with a lovely triple engine. I love that engine, it's fantastic. Tempting. On to what are you riding? This is a brilliant one, especially good this week. The bikes and the trips that you're on. This is from L. Klaassen. Pictured, Honda Shadow VLX 600, purchased with less than 2,000 miles on the clock for 2,500 US dollars, bought in December 2021. I've ridden from San Felipe, Mexico, 4,000 miles, to Alaska, 8,000 miles. The only maintenance, oil, filters, tires, and front brake pads. The little Honda now has 23,000 miles on the clock. L class, and there was one picture here that you sent over that I could use almost as my wallpaper there. The picture of that shadow parked up one of the American highways, arrow straight. And your, your setup of luggage is just pure American style. Everything's strapped to the back to the sissy bar and wrapped around. No panniers or anything, just keeping it low key, not having excess stuff to take around with you. Very, very slim profile. <sighs> looks, oh, just looks absolutely fantastic. Moving on, this is from John, John McDonald in Vancouver. This is epic. I mean, this is just a huge one. I found a local motorcycle rental company selling their old bikes at the end of the season. I picked the lowest mileage GS they had for sale. A late 2017 1200 GS with 70,000 kilometers on the clock with all of the protection and cases, full service history, but no warranty. It costs 12,000 Canadian dollars, which is roughly 7,000 British pounds. I rode from Vancouver to the White Horse, Yukon and Dawson City. It took me three days. Next day, I went off road for the first time with the goal to get to the Arctic Circle and see the sun not set. The following day I crossed, incredible, I crossed the Arctic Circle in a thunderstorm, hiding from the lightning in an outhouse, then through the heavy rain and more thunder and lightning over the mountains and the Mackenzie River to Inuvik. Next day I rode out to Tuktoyaktuk and I got to the Arctic Circle and that took in total 3,009 181 kilometers from my front door. Have a listen to this. Then I turned around, rode back, and that ride was 13,000 kilometers with the route I took. My bike now has, bear in mind, bought it on 70,000 kilometers. It now has 85,000 kilometers on it. John from Vancouver onto the Netherlands. This is from Mike. This is even more extreme. This could be, Mike, I, I really think this is going to be in magazines this trip. This is utter, utter madness and I love it. I love it. I told Monica about this before I did the podcast saying, if you ever say anything I do is ridiculous, have a listen to Mike from the Netherlands because this guy is on another level. Morning, Freddie. In the early 90s, I owned my first series Trans Alp. Of course, it was the white one. I crashed and I gave up biking basically. 
It occurred that the daughter of a good friend of mine had a trans help hidden in the garage for over four years in hibernation, just kind of collecting dust. I bought it last August for a bargain, thousand euros, which is 860 pounds sterling. Literally, I only changed the tires, dodgy ignition, and of course the battery, and took it straight out from the Netherlands to Malaga in Spain. I did six days up and down from Amsterdam to Malaga. That is 800 kilometers a day. That's some going, Mike. Now I'm leaving this April. This is where this, things get completely ludicrous. This is amazing. Now I'm leaving this April on my rusty steed from Amsterdam to Dubai. I mean, that's crazy enough. On to India, Nepal, Ladakh, and Pamir. And back home. I'm happy on my bike again. Mike Netherlands. Mike, to say that's the trip of a lifetime is a complete understatement. Please stay in touch, Mike. I'd, I'd be just so happy to hear from you about your travels and see pics of that. That's one of the biggest ones I've ever heard of, I think. I'll do one more from Daniel in Germany. Freddie, after my test, I got my very first bike. Honda 750 RC42 from 1996, again pictured. After I did some maintenance and fixing to it, I drove around three and a half thousand kilometers from September to November 2023, including a three-day trip to central Germany. I cannot wait to get it out of the garage again this year. Daniel, Germany. Daniel, these old Hondas have aged like a fine wine. Suddenly they've, they've somehow weirdly come into their own again. And they've started to look like really handsome, old school, stylish, understated bikes. Beautiful looking thing. Big fan of that, Daniel. Let's go on now to, I've got one more before my bike of the week. I'll go on to oh, Zane, oh, as the last one from what you're riding. Freddie, I've done it. Thanks for the advice on the dream bike versus financial freedom. I decided what my monthly figure was that I was happy to spend on financing. And that still allows me to do the things I want to do. And I'm happy with the deal that I've got. I've bought a Triumph Street Scrambler 900 for 6,000 500 pounds and the Enfield is being part exchanged. I will once again be heading to the wheels and waves on my trusty wingman of the road, or sorry, with my trusty wingman of the road, but this time on a triumph. Bring on the touring season. Bike of the week to wrap it up. This week coming from Bib the Boulder and to continue the theme with well-priced bikes, Hondas. Let's start here. Freddie, I have literally today bought a Honda NC750X to tour on. This year in June, I'm going to explore the Scottish Highlands. Then next year, I'm hoping to ride the Tafrau in northern Morocco. The reason I've chosen the Honda is manyfold. Phenomenal fuel economy suits my riding style. Seat back position, lightweight, low down weight to cheapest chips to buy. Frunk, which is the trunk in the front of the bike. Very unusual, you can store a helmet in, in essence, the fuel tank. And 
easy to maintain. Furthermore, these bikes are often seen for sale with incredible mileage on them. So clearly they are proven with a proven motor. Let's have a look at this bib the boulder. This model that you're looking at, 2014 to 2021 model, 54 horsepower, 229 kilos. Nothing remarkable about that, but that is not the point of these bikes. MCN stating here, remember the time when you'd buy one bike and use it for everything? These days, many machines are constructed for a specific niche or carefully defined purpose, but the adaptable 2014 to 2021 Honda NC750 adventure bike embraces a pleasing old school do-it-all attitude. Reliability is excellent. There are plenty of well-used NC workhorses that have covered Jupiter and back mileage without issue. And the model has a solid reputation for dependability. So what can we get? I've got something. Get your pen and papers ready or do a screenshot here because this is the most perfect Honda you'll find. The reason I say that to the Honda I'm about to shout out here is exactly what Hondas should be. Let's begin. It's a 2018 NC750. The reason I say this is, this is exactly what Honda NCs should be used for it's been a blood biker bike, meaning that this bike has been used to ferry blood around the UK to different hospitals, different medical units. So the owner of this bike will have maintained it, I'm sure, religiously, because it's been his essential mode of transport. The work he does, you can't afford to have a bike that breaks down. And look at that, it looks completely modern. It's only six years old. If I read here, the bike has been very well cared for, just had a new chain, sprocket, new wheel bearing, front and rear, rear brake pads, tires with over 70% left, full crash protection, top box, two panniers, extended touring screen. It's been for sale. I don't know why or how this is possible for such a utilitarian bike that will be of interest to so many people, but it was listed two months ago. It was 3,200 pounds, it's now 2,700 pounds, and the only reason I can think of for that, the mileage is 63,000, which genuinely, and I know I say this a lot, but for any bike, if ever this was true, 63,000 miles for an NC750 is nothing. That is so much bike for the money. Is there any bike better than that from 2018 onwards for that price that will be that durable, that tough, that dependable, that reliable, that economical. I don't think it's possible to get anything better than that. I think that is an unbelievable deal that someone should snap up if they're looking for a solid bike. And I'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening and watching this week's episode. Have a brilliant week all, and I'll speak to you all in the next one.